Good morning. Welcome to Kaylee Dezotel Reads, Writes, and Rants. Um, if you have been here before, welcome back. If this is your first time, welcome. I'm Kaylee. Um, today I'm super excited about the uh, podcast because we're I'm doing an interview with someone that I find personally very impressive, and um, I think you guys will really learn from his wisdom. His name is Dean Duperon. He is a leader in business and entrepreneurship um, in Vancouver area. Um, if you don't know him, you should. He has been around for three decades at least. Um, he's a chevalier. He's a fellow. He is a Métis leader in the community. Um, yeah, he just has so many exciting things. He's started and sold businesses. He has helped other people start businesses. He is a very wise man, a philosopher, if you will. And I'm really excited for you to hear what he has to say. So um, today's podcast is going to focus on the interview. I'm going to ask him some questions. You are going to learn a lot and I really hope you enjoy it. So Dean, if you, um, if someone's been living under a rock and they don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, thank you very much, Kaylee, for having me on your show. Uh, I've been looking forward to uh, the opportunity to visit with you. Myself, I've uh, enjoyed uh, successes in a few areas. Uh, one of which is in education. And basically, I have three silos that have been kind to me. And when uh, something is kind to you, you sometimes mistakenly assume that you're good at it. I've <laughs> built uh, uh, an education system that operated in eight countries around the world. So we ran uh, colleges in the Middle East the Caribbean, Canada, the United States, the Philippines, Vietnam, South Korea, India, and China, and uh, ran programs all the way from trades all the way to master's degrees. And quite proud of the success of that organization. We also uh, are in real estate, and at one time we had 39 apartment buildings in the Houston area. And, quite a story how we got down into Houston, but was proud of that investment and it did well for us. And we're also into medical clinics. And so I've been on the selection committee for uh, Aboriginal doctors for some 15 years now. And some of those doctors have successfully gotten into med school in the four different colleges and universities in British Columbia that uh, train MDs and are graduating and taking their place and to, to provide a platform for them, we've invested in and purchased medical clinics. That's really exciting. Thank you. Um, all right. So um, as a successful person and having, as you said, many, many um, industries that you've kind of gone into and um, found success in, uh, do you have a particular philosophy in life or um or I guess another way is, what do you, how do you decide what you're going to do and if it's the right thing for you to do? Hmm. Uh, well, my course of action is often uh, a selection process. Uh, what I like to look at is an idea can appear exciting, uh, 
but I like to move from a reactive to a com- uh, contemporary, uh, com- contemplative way of approaching things. So instead of um, choosing something on how I feel, I look at what are the possible outcomes. And I often use a uh, decision tree that uh, takes and evaluates the very best and worst of what could happen. And with that, I take and say, if I like the, the outcome and it's worth the effort and investment, um, I then look at the worst possibility that could happen. And if I can live with that, I generally decide to go for it. That sounds good. That's a good way to plan ahead, I guess. Um, And have you ever been in the position where you were afraid to try something, make a leap? Um, And if so, uh, have you ever convinced yourself to do it anyway? And how have you done so? That's a a great question because uh, several of my decisions, especially earlier in my life, uh, and even today, uh, have uh, the ability to resonate and or affect more than one person's life. And so when you're faced with that, I think afraid is, is a strong word mm-hmm. uh, because nothing I've ever done has, well, I guess the medical clinics affect people's lives. And of course, the schools, education affects the can make or otherwise change someone's future. But what I do is I look at each thing as an ABC. In other words, before deciding to take the leap, I will uh, obviously caucus with uh, my family because I have huge respect for the amazing people that uh, uh, that I've been blessed to have a part of my life. I then take and say, there must be at least three benefits or ways out of whatever the situation is. So, for example, our investment in Houston was uh, a long, long ways from home. (laughs) (laughs) From Vancouver. (laughs) From Vancouver, yes, ma'am. Yeah, and it was was a big investment. Um, And so our first reason for moving into the States was... Uh, we wanted to park some Canadian dollars into U.S. dollars because they were at par. Hmm. So the simplest way would have simply been buy some U.S. dollars. However, that wouldn't account for things like inflation. It wouldn't account for a negative movement in the uh, currency, and it wouldn't account for delays in the currency. So our second thing was we needed a inflation-resistant, uh, and so apartment buildings work well for us. Hmm. And three, we needed something that would show a stable market for an extended period of time, which is why we chose Houston. I can give you a whole rationale for that. (laughs) But I need at least three ways to get back whatever we're investing in, whether it's in people or money or, or just in our futures. Okay. Um, When you mentioned Houston, it's interesting because a lot of people in social media are finding Austin 
as a big proving ground for social media influence. Um, do you find that Texas in general is a growing thing? Is that one of the reasons that you would have selected Houston or just overall it was a good choice at the time? Do you have time for a quick yeah, absolutely, discussion? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, we were, we were actually just trying to buy an, another set of apartment buildings in Vancouver. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as you could appreciate, there wasn't a whole lot of real estate people here that were advertising Houston. No. Um, but what we found was there was a uh, spread between what is called a cap rate and investment. And it really meant very simply that for us to have a cash flow, we would have required the apartment buildings in British Columbia to be financed at 0% interest rate. <laughs> Given we didn't find a lot of banks that wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah, and Vancouver's not really um, dying for more help in real estate at the moment. Oh my goodness, no. Um, so then they suggested to us, well, how about Alberta? No rent at all. Anyway, uh, no rent controls. Why not go to Alberta? And I went, if I can get on a plane to Alberta, then I can go anywhere in North America. True. So then we started looking at infrastructures, and we wanted something that would enable our investment to be strong over a long period of time, because this was an investment for our children rather than for ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so we started looking at the GDP of all the cities in North America. We found ten, four of the top ten were out of uh, Texas. You had Austin, as you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. You had Fort Worth. You had Dallas. And you had Houston. So then we had to determine, and the interesting thing was Houston only has 6 million people, whereas New York has 12 million people. Oh, wow. Interestingly enough, New York has the same growth within 3,000 people of jobs as did Houston at the time. Oh, wow. So if you created that many jobs, you can imagine the push on the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So the next question was, we needed to be able to make a decision that would tell us what city in all of North America is growing the fastest. And do you know how we figured that out? Yeah. It's interesting because so many people say to me, oh, well, we just phoned the local Chamber of Commerce. Well, that's cool, but the Chamber of Commerce's whole idea is to drag people into Houston. <laughs> do you think they may be a little bit biased as to their uh, their... Point. <laughs> exactly. So then you take and say, okay, well, people say building permits. Well, all you're doing is gambling that the guys who are buying building permits <laughs> are smarter than you are. <laughs> well, that's a low, that's not a good gamble necessarily. I think that's not good odds. Right? But you know how you can actually tell with any, and people say the census. Well, the census can be up to four to six years old. Do you know how you can tell for a certainty this Friday, which is the fastest growing city in North America. How? You look at the price of a moving van to move U-Haul into a city versus out of a city. Oh. If the city is growing at flat, mm -hmm. the costs going in and costs going out are obviously the same. Yeah. If the city is a black hole, which Houston was, they actually were almost paying you to drive the van anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> that is very good wisdom. See, I told you, you're going to learn something if you listen today. 
Um, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, would you say that that is the most courageous thing you've ever done? Or would you say, what would you say is the most courageous act you've ever done? Well, to be really honest, um, selling businesses, buying businesses, building businesses are all a lot of fun. Making decisions as to which which applicant to accept into med school, um, selecting dentists for the University of Sydney and surgeons, all paled in comparison to walking into a room in Douglas College when I was 23 years old and seeing this most beautiful woman surrounded by amazing people and sitting down next to her. So, and that story, it hopefully has a happy ending? Yes, I managed to convince some of the people that were sitting near her that they needed to sit elsewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good, good. And um, I managed to... And uh, come up with enough courage over the weeks to invite her on a date. Uh, was turned down the first couple times. Actually, the only reason I got my date was a teacher announced, after all my work, to get to sit beside her and get as close as possible. And even though I was getting rejected from dates, I was sitting near her. Uh, the teacher announced that there would be a written paper and it was no a, a spoken paper and there was no excuse not to participate over half your mark depended on it so if you didn't stand in front of the class you failed Ooh. and as she's walking out of the room talking to her girlfriend she goes i don't talk in front of people i'm dropping this course <laughs> my heart sank and I, I went over to her and i said if i can get the teacher to make this a hand in written paper would you go out on one date with me and after a hesitation she said yes as it turns out the teacher saw it my way (laughs) the same person who convinced all the kids in the class to move (laughs) yeah and uh, we are now celebrating uh, 40 years of knowing each other. Aw, so it is a good story. Thank you, yes. Yeah. Um, so going kind of off of the idea of courage, uh, do you think that faith, not necessarily religious faith, but a matter of firm believing, a believing in yourself or in other things or in outside forces, do you think that has influenced your life choices, whether it's to ask the pretty girl out or to convince people to move? I think... Um, well, I, I happen to believe there's uh, a, a greater being, um, and I know some people don't, and that's that's their belief. But outside of religion, um, one of the things that I strongly believe in is a personal will. In other words, I believe for anybody to be successful at whatever they choose. If you make a decision, believe in your decision and back it until overwhelmingly you're convinced by the evidence that you need to alter course. The worst thing that any individual can do is to suffer through indecision or spend the afternoon rethinking the decisions they made in the morning. 
Nobody pays you. Nobody, your life doesn't reward you for being paralyzed. Nothing is worse than no decision at all. Ah, I got goosebumps. That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Um, Yeah, I think that's true because I know a lot of people, they do focus on a decision that's already been made. And once it's made, um, unless, you know, it's going to hurt someone or hurt yourself, is there really any point in mulling it over constantly and then second-guessing yourself? Exactly. You know, even wonderful people, if they're right 80% of the time, odds are pretty much in their favor, right? Mm -hmm. I like that. That's a really good way to look at it. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with you um, and seeing your supportive stance on um, women in the workforce. Um, Given that a strong tenant of Kaylee Days Hotel Reads is feminism and equality and advancement and empowerment of women, I was wondering if we could talk about that a little bit. Um, You would have come into the workforce in the late 70s um, when there was a big push for um, women to be more engaged in the workforce and they had the, um, why can't I remember the word, the word where, uh, the thing where women, you had to hire a certain quota of people of color or women to fill in a minority gap. Yes. Um, Do you think that that would have influenced your way of seeing women as managers or do you feel that potentially you're just you were a strong supporter of women in the workforce for another reason. And could you talk a little bit about why you have been a strong supporter of women in roles of influence? Certainly. Before answering that, if I may, Uh I'd like to uh, say that I've had the opportunity to see a couple of your posts. And uh, I admire the uh, tact and direction and still the force that you put behind your message. Thank you. In terms of women in the workforce, um, I must say that I don't really see, though though certainly some of my senior management um, uh, identify women, especially uh, some of the ladies have indicated at various tables they would like um, and have pushed for more women at a particular table, and I'm certainly supportive of that. But for me... I look at um, them as uh, a set of skills, and the skill set is very important to me. The job, I think, of a really good management uh, team is to protect every worker from their weaknesses and allow them to enjoy and prosper in their strengths. So my focus has always been the right person for the job as it turns out a lot of them happen to have been women (laughs) (laughs) see and that is so good because that's kind of where I try to go with my stuff is that um, when people go oh well why are you trying to get a woman elected or whatever and it's not that I want necessarily a woman to be elected it's that I believe that that woman has the skills or the experience required to be that position um oh affirmative action that's the word i couldn't remember a minute ago um i like that and i like the fact that you're looking at it as a set of skills rather than as a gender or um well she's a woman she can't or she's a woman so she should um yeah but i i've always been very impressed with your strong support of women regardless of where they are in their roles 
Um, going off of roles, you, who are some of your role models going back? Um, are there any people that you would recommend for young entrepreneurs or people seeking personal growth who they should look into or books they should read or anything like that? Yeah, no, that's a that's an excellent question, and books are wonderful because they capture a moment rather than um, uh, the barrage of tweets and reactivity that uh, perhaps uh, troubles our world just a little bit, or perhaps misguides individuals as they're trying to uh, wade through it. A book is a is a wonderful quiet place where where you can be with your thoughts mm-hmm. I actually have what I consider and I've recommended over and over again for young executives um, among them uh, Lee Iacocca I like autobiographies uh, I should preface this I like autobiographies and one thing about an autobiography is everybody tries to write the book as if they're the hero. Mm-hmm. Nobody writes a book to say bad things about themselves. <laughs> but it's it's like um, a book I once read, a, a story, and the person painted themselves as a hero, quite naturally. But because they were a warrior, they painted themselves as a successful warrior. And if you look at the big picture, and you see the forest, each book tells the heart of the individual because the things they value in the book are things they say are good. Um, Give you, uh, but in these books, if you see that forest, you'll also see a lesson. Give you an example, Lee Iacocca. He was Ford. He was the guy who invented the minivan. He's the guy who invented the Mustang car. Oh, wow. This is a a man who will give you a wonderful sense of history, uh, a wonderful sense of humor, and tell you something about navigating the world of major corporations in the forest of the auto industry. Gandhi. Gandhi is a remarkable read. Um... What you learn from, or I found from Gandhi, was it's how to use juxtaposition to handle people. Mm. Give you an example. Here is an, a thorn in the side of, of a ruling uh, colony owned by Britain, and his threat was he would kill himself. <laughs> now, if there are people that could have looked at that and said, well, it would be very good if you just hurried up. <laughs> could you just get on with it, please? <laughs> right? One of the other lessons I read in his book, and I'm not sure whether it was Muslim or Sikh, but there was a, a, a battle, a war. And they came to Gandhi, and this warrior, let's say Muslim, killed this entire family, and there's this boy. And Gandhi said, you will now take responsibility for the boy. That in itself, a demand, an intrusion, but 
Gandhi was Gandhi, right? Mm-hmm. But you know the thing that he did that made this so incredibly insightful? Mm. What's that? He said the Muslim must raise the boy, but raise him as a Sikh. Oh, so he had to be understanding of the other religion. Isn't that so true? Yes, that's this, good. This is a man who just destroyed how many people? Because of a religious difference. Right? Oh, that's actually really interesting. Another particular read, and there's only two more, if I may. Yeah, absolutely. This is all about books, and so we're all good. <laughs> all right. Um, you've heard of Maclebania? Yes. Maclebania is uh, misinterpreted as a harsh rule. And another fellow, Sun Tzu, the art of war, and Maclebania was the prince. Mm-hmm. But both those books are talking about an understanding of large power. Mm-hmm. How armies and nations interact in their bid for power. Mm-hmm. So if you read it as the trees, you'll read about whether or not if one country comes to you and uses um, an army of mercenaries, how you should react to it. But if you read it in terms of the forest, you'll hear how allies are formed and how alliances are destroyed. Very. That's really interesting. I also like, um, there's a book by Brene Brown that came out about a year ago called Braving the Wilderness. And one thing she does is a parable about seeing the forest for the trees. And I feel like that's really good because I know when I read The Prince in university, I read it and I was like, why is this guy so mean? But really, you're right. It's more of a manner of how does one person, he calls it, gain the love because it's romantic poetry from the time um, gain the love of his followers while still um, getting control of the army so in a way I guess they're kind of like the way back Dale Carnegie's of their time (laughs) they were absolutely Kaylee this is uh, and you know if if you have the the patience for it the gems in it are a foundation of a career. There's one last book I would recommend, and it'll sound whimsical compared to these others, mm-hmm. uh, but The One Minute Manager. Okay. It is an easy read. In fact, it only takes minutes to read the book, but it tells you the mechanism or recipe for communicating with people. Oh, that would be handy. I will include, just so everyone knows, I'm going to include these uh, books in the show notes. So when you go to iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, you'll be able to see uh, the books that Dean is recommending to you in case you are curious about some further reading. Because, as always, we are big on reading around here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Going off of the books and role models that way, um, how do you feel about mentorship as either a mentor or a mentee? Well, I've... uh, I I think they're incredibly valuable. Yeah. Um, I've... uh, People have often asked me how do I have access to the Rolodex that I do? And uh, So I, I often say to them, do you know how you ensure a multimillionaire will return your phone call? How? Make someone a multimillionaire. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point. 
that is a very good point. They're not going to hang up on you if you call them back. <laughs> That's true. Uh, well, uh, one of the things I know, like, I participate in Lean In and stuff, and we've had women come in, and one thing they say is that they get approached through LinkedIn a lot about oh. people going, hey, can I pick your brain? Hey, can I? And one thing all these women have told me in common is that they hate that term, one, pick your brain, mm-hmm. and two, um, that it's kind of challenging when you get a consistent amount of messages coming through saying, hey, um, I want to start a business. Can I talk to you about how you started yours? Is there a way that you would recommend to people to approach someone? Like, as you said, the best way to get someone to answer your phone call is to make them a multimillionaire. Um, How would a potential wannabe multimillionaire get the attention of an already existing multimillionaire to do the mentorship? That's an excellent question. Uh, I And it'll be different for uh, everyone, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, my generation was phone calls and people. Okay. Um, and it, and it, and I, it may not work uh, for other gender, uh, because obviously people want to meet people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I do is I invest a period of time every year uh, where I will just do coffees with these requests. Oh, okay. And meet them in some place like Starbucks rather than the office. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there's, uh, and that wasn't a plug for anyone. <laughs> You're not being paid by Starbucks. <laughs> no. Although you would think that my uh, feed is paid by Starbucks some days. <laughs> Yes, uh, but uh, I will meet with these people, and the first thing I really do is I look to see really who they are and their philosophies. Okay. Because a crocodile probably won't do a good job um, studying from a mouse or a hare. <laughs> good point. Fair enough. Right. So. Uh, the first meeting is to be compatible. Okay. And then I, I uh, don't talk to them for a couple weeks so they can digest would they also enjoy, like we can both think about whether or not we'd enjoy spending time mm-hmm. talking. Okay. And it doesn't have to be in person after after that. It could be on the phone. It could be whatever. If they then can think about whether or not they'd like to participate uh, with us. And the other thing is they have to have a business idea uh, because that's what I'm helping people with. Yeah. Um, so they have to have something that they believe in. And it, people say, well, how do you know if it's a good business idea? Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is, the richest guy I've ever met um, runs the garbage collection in, or ran the garbage collection in New York City. <laughs> now, I wouldn't want him dating my sister. <laughs> <laughs> However, his garbage collection is clearly making money. Making a lot of money. <laughs> So that man wouldn't be compatible with me, but it just shows if that idea can make a lot of money, any idea can make a lot of money. That's a good point. Right? So it really is the drive, 
the enthusiasm, the, the skill set that comes behind the idea that makes it possible, unless, of course, you're talking about selling real estate on Mars today, <laughs> which might be a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, though, on the same side of it, who would have thought a marijuana company would make $100 million in a month? There, <laughs> that's true. I took my kids to a run, and I didn't realize till I got home that the, the swag they got all said cannabis on it. <laughs> So if that if the 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 will is there and the interest is there, then the second conversation and it could move from there to emails or to any other platform. Mm-hmm. But um, the second idea is okay. What's your business idea and whether or not I believe I can coach you with process and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If that in two weeks feels good and I, I feel like I would like to help that person, I then take and tell them how I would help them. And that may be coaching, it may be uh, future investments, it may be a number of different things. Mm-hmm. But I ask for something for from them as well. Okay. And then I tell them not to talk to me for a second two weeks. In that time, I encourage them to talk to all of their support groups because I don't want to be halfway through a project to find out that they hadn't really committed themselves. Yeah. So I want them to talk to everybody, their family, their friends, everybody who thinks it might be a bad idea. At the end of those two weeks, if you come back to me, then we'll start the process of getting to know each other. Okay, that's really good because that's the thing with young people executives you're interested in how to get a hold of people like this and what the best way to do that would be um so okay um when it comes to meeting new people would you describe yourself as introverted or extroverted and if either of those um which do you think that affects how you do business or the choices you make um towards taking leaps of faith or whatever you decide to do in your life I like that question. Um, it caused me, it, it caused me when you suggested it to, to kind of pause. <laughs> um, well, I'll share something with you. Okay. I'm an introvert by raising because I was a son of an abusive father, mm-hmm. um, and in an abused family, you naturally learn to acquiesce to whatever everybody says. Okay. In particular, the father, uh, and I mistakenly assumed that was. Um, that was diplomacy. But I found myself, as I got into my late teens and early 20s, acquiescing to everybody. So I could be in a room with one person and they would say red, and so I'd say red. I walk into another room and I ha- I'd say they'd say white, so I'd say white. And then I walk into in my nightmare. I'd walk into the room and they're both there and I'd have to choose pink. (laughs) (laughs) Both, I like them both. (laughs) Right. So I mistakenly then gyrated to leadership meant that you were outgoing and the louder you spoke your thoughts, the better. Mm -hmm. And today I've come to believe that thoughtful consideration of an idea, less words and a little more expressive on the face is a much more much better way to communicate i like that that's really good thank you um okay 
What do you think is the most amazing thing you've ever accomplished? Hmm. Well, I have had the privilege of creating a degree uh, school when it was illegal before I created it. <laughs> um, I created a grant program that 7.7 million votes came in worldwide and only nine countries in the world didn't cast at least one vote. Wow. Um, and uh, had the privilege of changing uh, somewhere over a half a million lives um, through education. But my real hope is that my greatest accomplishment is still in front of me. I find it sad when I hear someone say the best years of their lives were in high school or in college. And it, it sounds to me like someone just waiting for that last tick on the clock. I, I'm, I'm so hopeful that each person has something magnificent just in front of them. That is good. I like that a lot because um, I know when you go to university, it's like, oh, the rest of your life is ahead of you. But people go, oh, the best of your life is behind you. And it's like, how can that be? How can the next 90 years be less exciting than the last four where I didn't know what I was doing and I had no money or access to control? Exactly. <laughs> Very well said. <laughs> and finally, my last question. Um, do you have a personal motto? I do. Well, I have a, I have a, uh, a thing that I, I say a wise man once said, and it, it covers a, a, a whole group of my various expressions. So if you'll forgive me, <laughs> my, my, my answer to that would be a wise man once said, life is nothing but a collection of experiences. Make each one count. Oh, that's so good. Well, thank you so much for this interview. Um, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing with us. Um, where can people find you online if they wanted to try and approach you for one of those once a year coffees? Hmm. Uh, well, we have a website, the DePeron Group. Okay. Um, and or, uh, yeah, they can email me at uh, Dean com, but probably through the website would be the easiest thing because uh, I'm sometimes a little slow in getting through all my emails. <laughs> I would imagine. Okay, I will include your, uh, I'll, I'll put a link to the website in the show comments too if you are interested in finding out more on what Dean has to say. Um, that was really, really a good um, amount of information. I hope that you guys will take the time to dig down into it. I will include the books in the links and in the show comments. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Such a privilege. Thank you. Thank you.